0: There we go. Can y- y'all can hear me now? All right. Well, uh, today, I'm going to be preaching to you guys about unity in, uh, unity in the church. But before, uh, before we get to that, I want to turn our attention really quickly um, to a to passage. I pull this up for us. Uh, Colossians, this was actually uh, in your guys' notes that you guys received. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And I want to turn our attention to, to this passage or these couple of verses really quickly because as we're thinking about this idea of being united as a church body, uh, we want to remember that we are united in our assurance of. Uh, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We as a church body are united in this salvation um, that Paul talks about in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2 of Colossians. Um, He says, And you were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The debt that was on us is no longer there, not because of our works, but because of the works that have been done um, by Christ through his death on the cross, through taking the punishment that we deserve. We now have new life in Christ as a body of believers in that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So with that assurance, with that assurance, um, I want to invite us, this is something that I've I've noticed we haven't done in a while. We do this after the service a little bit. I want to invite us as we are united as a body of believers to actually go and greet one another. This is a biblical thing to greet one another in love. Um, I want to invite you guys now to to greet one another. Um, So just take a few minutes to, to look around to the people around you and greet one another. Good morning, good morning, (laughs) hi, good morning, I do. All right folks let's let's start finding our seats again. start finding our seats. Such a blessing to greet one another in love. <sighs> All right and as y'all are finding your seats, uh, before we start the sermon today, I'm going to go ahead and, and lead us in prayer real quick. Thank you guys for greeting one another. It's um, such a blessing to do that. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll get started looking at the text today. All right. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for the honor that you have given us. Of uh, Not only have you given us such an amazing salvation, um, that you have brought us to yourself and your love through the sacrifice that you have given on our behalf so that we would have unity with you. I thank you for the additional grace that you have um, restored us as a people um, from this deadly pandemic that we are coming out of this pandemic. So it seems um, there, there is more health in this community so that we would be able to have unity um, with one another this morning and gathering as a church body and greeting one another Um, and just to be in person together. So thank you for all of this grace that you have given us uh, in these things. I pray that as you are speaking uh, through me or to me um, through your word to prepare this sermon, I pray that you'd uh, equip me to uh, this morning just be a capable preacher of your word, Uh, and I pray that you'd bless the ears that hear this, that hear your word, that uh, hear the words that you have given me this morning um, to talk about. Uh, your word. I pray that uh, this would produce faithfulness um, and just greater fidelity to you um, through the preaching of your word. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to uh, talk to you real quickly uh, about something uh, I, I have observed lately. So recently, uh, me and my wife, Sydney, we were watching this, uh, this show on Netflix um, about this girl. And it's a true story. This girl named Anna Sorokin, or Anna, as she's known, uh, Anna Delvey. Um, and she, she gained notoriety because she, as an outsider, was able to gain access to the upper elite of New York, the, the most wealthy. Um, that's really a, a group of people that you can't just break into and make community with. Um, these are the people who are the wealthiest, who are um, on magazine covers, who um, are basically controlling a lot of the media in um, and the finances of the United States, and specifically of New York. And this girl Anna, who is not even from the United States, not from New York, she's from a, a she's from basically Germany. Um, she managed to uh, create this persona. Um, she she changed her name to something that she thought would be more presentable to people. She changed her name from Anna Sorokin to Anna Delvey. Um, and she created this whole persona and pretended as though she actually fit in with these people. And she fooled people. She told people that she was a German heiress, that she had all of this money. Um, and in the midst of all of this, everybody believed her because she was so confident about herself. Everybody just believed her because she said so. Um, but... The story being the story that it was, we, we now know that uh, basically her whole story that she was not being honest about uh, her, her situation, about who she was. That's what the whole show is basically about. Um, and so this persona that she took on, she, she became really proud in order to, to maintain this persona. How dare you question who I am? That's a lot of the kind of way that she interacted with people. Like, you, you think that I'm not the person who I say that I am, and that's how she was able to defend herself. She was really proud, and she claimed um, the status that she had attained, that she deserved that status, that she actually belonged there. Um, she claimed that she was a self-made person, but also came from um, all this great wealth. But all of this was fiction. It was a lie that she, uh, she made up so that she would be able to fit in with these people. And when we think about it, I think many of us have at some time maybe stretched the truth or accentuated certain things about ourselves in order to fit in with a certain group. We may not have changed our whole uh, person and become a whole new person in order to do that, um, but we've, we have changed ourselves in order to fit in. And uh, our culture actually tells us um, that you've probably heard this cliche at this point that you gotta fake it until you make it. Or TED Talks will tell you that you have to fake it until you become it. Uh, you have to change yourself in order to get access to this inner circle. You have to give in order to get. And that honestly is kind of a garbage gospel that you have to give in order to get, that you have to change yourself, um, that you have to fake it until you make it. Thank goodness that we have a gospel that because we have gotten and now we give, because we have received what Christ has done for us, we are changed because of what he has done for us, that we do not have to change ourselves and become something in order to be accepted by God, but he makes us acceptable to himself. This is the gospel that we believe and we are united in. We are a part of this because of what God has done in in us, what God has uh, done uh, for us. We are a part of this community and we have unity because of it. We are not outsiders, but we have become insiders through what Christ has given to us. So in our church covenant, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor T, he talked about this idea of conversion, this idea of conversion and living by faith. And that really makes up the first paragraph of the covenant that we have. And then last week, Pastor Tim, he talked about um, this idea of how the scriptures, they make up uh, everything. They're the foundation for what we believe and what we do as a church. A scripture is the foundation. And so to build on that, I'm going to turn our eyes to the scriptures to inform more of what we believe in our covenant as a church. Um, This is the third paragraph of our covenant. This week we do not have the covenant in um, our bulletin, but I'm going to go ahead and read this third paragraph, and it's really just a sentence for us. Um, And it says this. This is what we as members of this church have agreed upon. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit— Through the bond of peace. So, I want you all, um, whether you uh, are a member of this church or not, I want you to uh, uh, repeat after me, all right? We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Say it one more time. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's going to be the main focus of our talk today, uh, of this sermon today, and that text, or really those words, come from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, which Pastor Tim read for us this morning. And so I want to, uh, before we, we'll, we'll just actually jump straight in to Ephesians So, on my Bible, it's page 1457. It's a different page probably for you. Um, Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 of of Ephesians 4. So, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have one. Uh, Turn on your Bible if you have one and scroll to uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And so, to remind us again... Of the verses that Pastor Tim said this morning, I, this is the Apostle Paul here, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing, one, uh, one, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And so I want to uh, shed a little bit of light on really the, this book or really this letter um called ephesians this letter was written by a man named paul he was called by god uh to be what he would call himself the apostle to the gentiles uh, gentiles being anybody who is not jewish and so this place Ephes- uh, ephesus which this letter is being written to the church that's in ephesus uh this place ephesus uh is in the roman empire and it's made up of jews and greeks Um, And Paul has gone there and preached the gospel. And now, about 10 years since he first arrived in Ephesus, he's now sending a second, or or talking to them again, sending this letter to them to remind them of who they are in Christ. And so, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, he makes clear what his whole letter is going to be about. He wants to remind the church that they have been chosen For adoption to become children of God they have become children of God and because they are children of God he wants them to also remember that God has chosen them even before he chose Abraham's family in fact before the foundations of the world were put in place God chose these people to be his to be his children to be adopted Um, God has chosen these people Um, And so that's a big deal since the whole Old Testament is really uh, about Abraham's family. Um, To say that these Gentiles were chosen before Abraham's family, before the foundation of the world were put in place, that's a big deal that he's, uh, that's a big statement that he's making there. And not only that, the mystery of how God was bringing humanity as a whole back to himself to have unity, since that unity was broken because of sin, Um, the mystery of how he was going to do that has been revealed through Jesus Christ and has been extended not to just Jews, but to Jews and Gentiles, people of all nations, people of all different kinds of families. And so because these Jews and Gentiles have been brought in and have been made children, because they are the children of the Most High, they are heirs to the promise. These unrelated people, have become spiritual siblings, not by birth, but by rebirth into Christ through the Spirit. They have become spiritual siblings. And we too, like the Ephesians, many of us not being Jews, many of us being Gentiles, and have received this conversion also, have become spiritual siblings. Okay? So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, And so, I have three main points for you based off of our text uh, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. First, walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of the calling. Second, just the words one body. And third, one spirit. Walk worthy of the calling, one body, and one spirit. And so to talk more about this this first piece, right? Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, in a manner that is fit for a called person. And what has he called them? What has he called these people who have been called to himself? What are they called? Well, if we look back to, uh, again, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 4, Even as he chose us, even as he called us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He has called these Ephesians or these these believers, these Gentiles, um, and really us too, he has called us holy and blameless before him. In love, he, pret- he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He has called us uh, sons and daughters. Uh, in, uh, in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to himself, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have um, obtained An inheritance. He has called us heirs. So really, there's there's four things here. Back in, sorry, Ephesians uh, 1-7, in him we have redemption through his blood. He has also called us redeemed. So he has called us four things. He has called us holy, he has called us adopted, he has called us redeemed, and he has called us heirs. And so now in Ephesians 4, the main text that we're looking at we ought to walk worthy of those things. We ought to walk worthy of being called holy. We ought to be uh, walking worthy as adopted, redeemed heirs. And Paul says this as he is a prisoner, as he is a prisoner in a stinky jail. Paul still considers himself a holy, adopted, redeemed heir. And he talks about these Ephesians, these Christians, these believers who likely are persecuted because of their faith. Um, he wants to remind them that they also ought to walk worthy um, of this holy, adopted, redeemed um, inheritance that they, um, they have received, that they have been called. So walk worthy of that calling. And how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, uh, he says the way that you do that is firstly, you ought to walk with humility and gentleness. And when Jesus, he talks about humility in Ephesians, or sorry, Matthew 23, 11 through 12, um, he teaches us what humility looks like when he says, The greatest of you shall be a servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Humility looks like being a servant. And so when you are walking worthy of that calling, we ought to walk as servants in this upside-down kingdom that we are a part of, that is God's kingdom. This upside-down kingdom where we are heirs, we are also servants. We are humble heirs. And he says also, when he talks about gentleness, Jesus teaches us that gentleness looks like this in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He modeled uh, gentleness when he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Somebody say gentle. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not making things extremely hard for people. He says my burden is light. That's what gentleness looks like. I have a a short anecdote to to tell you about humility and gentleness. Um, the other day, I was, uh, may- maybe some of you guys don't know this, I am a teacher at a school called Cornerstone. Oh <laughs> and uh, I'm a Bible teacher, there, along with uh, Tasha, uh, Tasha. And uh, I teach Bible for grades 5 through 12. And in my ninth grade class, we've been talking about the topic of uh, apologetics. And we were thinking about how does uh, how does the Bible talk about how to do apologetics? And so, First Peter chapter three talks about how, um, when when engaging in sharing and defending the faith, uh, you ought to do this with gentleness and humility, with gentleness and humility. And so, at Cornerstone, it is not required for all of our students to be believers. And so, because of that, there's some who are not. And so, uh, and Sometimes throughout the year, I would engage in kind of apologetic-like conversations with my students. And so I went out on a limb. And I asked the students that I engage with in these apologetic conversations. I was like, so do you guys think that I come across uh, with, with as humble and gentle? And I, I asked them this in front of the whole class. And then they answered. And they said No. <laughs> Uh, and so that was a learning moment for me I had to become more gentle and humble in my approach Um, and maybe that that looks a little bit uh, different for each each person um, and each time Uh, but uh, yeah that was a learning moment for me of how to be more humble and gentle in my approach when I'm having these apologetic conversations and so um, as I was thinking through this how can I be more humble I I'm I'm a pretty humble person Um, how can I be how can I be more gentle I'm I don't think of myself as ungentle, Um, and so I was talking to Pastor Tim the other day, and he says, um, I I told him about this conversation, and he was telling me, you know, maybe maybe a better way that you can uh, come across as more humble and gentle is the way that you listen, the way that you listen. Um, You have to know that um, as you're listening, Um, There's you got to be talking back and forth with these people you have to be um, be an active listener You can't just always have an answer to everything You have to recognize that when people have questions or have something to say uh, People's words are important. You have to verbalize that and so learn from me and my mistake and my uh, absence of humility and gentleness That part of being humble and gentle with one another is also listening well to one another It's also listening well to one another and so uh, he continues, he continues uh, that we ought to be patient. When we're walking worthy of this calling, we ought to be patient. And we're not patient for nothing. We are patient because we're waiting for something. We're patient and we are enduring Whatever we're facing in front of us in the daily life that we experience, we are enduring not just for the sake of being patient, not just for the sake of enduring, but what lies ahead of us. But because of what lies ahead of us, we look forward to the hope, which is that inheritance. That inheritance that we are looking for is you. Do not forget that you are heirs in the midst of this. That's why we ought to be patient. That's why we ought to be patient. And then he says that you should be bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. And when I think about this, I think of this word called uh, long-suffering, if some of you guys have heard that word before, um, where you are just suffering for a long time with people, putting up with a lot of stuff. Um, That's what it looks like to bear with one another. And I know some of y'all who are out here bear with one another in that Y'all have decided to, to live with one another. I know that Tasha and Grace and some of the people that live in her household, they bear with one another as they are facing daily life. Uh, sunrise to sundown, they are hanging out together. They're uh, being around one another. Amanda, Ko, and <laughs> she says, help us. Uh, <laughs> uh, Amanda um, and uh, Adia, they are roommates together as well. And they're sisters and they are bearing with one another in love. Um, and that's what we, even as we are not living, all of us are not living t- with one another. Um, as siblings, we still have to bear with one another. We have to suffer through the difficult things and our just our differences. Our differences, we have to bear with one another. And so, again, as Pastor Tim brought up this morning, we ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is what's in our church covenant, being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now what I want you to do, I want you to uh, turn to somebody, or really rather, before you do that, think to yourself about something that you have been eager for. Think to yourself and imagine, what have I in the past been eager for? And what maybe right now am I eager for in life? Think about that for like maybe 10 seconds, And then I want you to share with somebody next to you something that you've been eager for or something that you are eager for in life. Go ahead and do that. Yeah. Okay. So, y'all are thinking about the things that you're that you're eager eager about. Yeah. All right. So for for me, for me, let me tell you something that I've been eager about in life. When I think about just the pinnacle of eagerness in life. And it has been like, since I was a little kid, even up to now, like when I think of eagerness, I imagine uh, Christmas morning or the night before Christmas, uh, you have, I mean, and this was when I was a little kid and this is even now, the night before Christmas, I'm eager for the morning when I wake up and I know I got those presents that I am gonna open and I'm gonna give. I I didn't give gifts when I was younger, but now I know the pleasure of giving gifts to my wife. And there's that eagerness, that excitement that's in you um, to go and to open those presents and to give those presents. Christmas morning, it's awesome. Um, And so when we're thinking of this eagerness and the examples that you yourself thought of, um, that feeling that you feel when you are eager, we ought to also have that same attitude, that same mindset when we are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace have that same excitement, that same drive, um, looking forward to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the uh, the bond of peace. And what does unity look like? It means, like we just said, being a servant, being gentle, being patient, bearing with one another. We ought to be eager to do these things. We ought to be eager to do these things. And then to that second piece, right, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. The bond of peace. We got to be thinking of what ties us or glues us together. What glues us together? What enables us to actually um, be eager to maintain this unity? the glue, the ligaments that tie this body together is the peace that we have with one another and the peace that we have with Christ because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross in dying for us, in forgiving us, in redeeming us, in making us children and heirs with him in our salvation, looking forward to that hope. Looking forward to the hope. This is the bond that ties us together. This is that peace. And so... I want to move on to our second point, this idea of being one body, this idea of being one body. And so we'll look back at the text. Um, He says in verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so as one body... We have one hope that's tied to that calling that we have. And that one hope is the ultimate revelation. We have had a small revelation, or I mean, a a first revelation in that we have uh, seen and learned what the Jews in the Old Testament were looking forward to. How is God going to redeem his people and reunite us with himself? We have seen that in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. But we look forward to the final revelation, right? That you guys have maybe heard of in the book of Revelation. We look forward to the final revelation where the curtains are open. When the curtains are open, where the things that are invisible to us now will become visible to us. Where the things that are hidden will be revealed. That while we now recognize that we cannot see our God, we will truly see the Lord in glory. And this is what it says. This is what it says, looking at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Look at the back of your Bible. Revelation chapter uh, 7, verse 9. He says, After this, I looked... And behold, like those curtains in the sky were opened up, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all people, from all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes This is the hope. This is what we are looking forward to when the curtains are open. Right? Right? Okay. This is the hope that we are looking forward to as one body who come from many languages, from many cultures, from many people, from many tribes, together, united in diversity, worshiping the Lord, looking forward to that day. Right? And so, not only do we have one hope that belongs to our calling, we also have one Lord. We have one Lord. And so we just uh, heard uh, Sister Jacqueline this morning talking about how we have one body, right? We are one body with many members, but we have one head, and that is Jesus Christ. We have one Lord who is the head, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. There is no other heads. We are not a seven-headed monster or something like that. We have one head, and it's Jesus Christ, all right? And there is one faith. There is one faith. And I want you to think maybe back to, to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, where he talks about, uh, the apostle John talks a little bit about how Jesus um, is God, how he is the word. Um, and the word uh, in this context is referring to the revelation of the wisdom of God. That one faith that we have is on account of the one word that we have, um, the one revelation of God that is Jesus Christ. And he says uh, in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is not many ways. There's not many truths. There, there is one way. There is one truth, and that is Jesus Christ. There is one life, and that is Jesus Christ. There is not many. And so, He also says that there is one baptism. And again, drawing your attention back to 1 Corinthians. Some of you guys might remember this from reading 1 Corinthians. In the first chapter, Paul is talking to these people about how there are many divisions among them. There are many factions among them. And they have uh, been baptized by Apollos. And some have been uh, baptized by John and by Paul and by Peter. um, And all these different things. They think that there's many baptisms. But Paul's like, no. You have been baptized into one Jesus Christ, one Lord, one spirit um, that you have been baptized into. There is one baptism, right? And so then he, last of all, he concludes when he says there's one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so I want to go back, go back even further to um, the relationship that really started with Paul in the book of, uh, Paul and, uh, the Ephesians, in the book of Acts chapter 19. So I'm gonna just briefly go over this with you, or for you, um, back in Acts, uh, Really eighteen, Paul first went to the synagogue that was in Ephesus, and he preached uh, about Jesus, and he reasoned with the Jew- the Jews that were in the synagogue um, for a short while. And the Jews that were in the synagogue, they were interested by what Paul was preaching, and they, and so they said, "Will you stay with us longer?" But Paul, he had to continue on his journey. He says, "As you know, I'll be back. As I, I'll come back." And so Paul, he makes his, he finishes his journey, and he makes a second journey on his journey back to uh, through all these cities that he's. Preach the gospel, and uh, he comes back to this land of uh, or this city of Ephesus. And when he first arrives, we'll actually just turn back there real quick uh, to to uh, to Acts 19, and I want to share with you uh, verses one through six of Acts 19. Give you a couple seconds to get there. I'll just start uh, starting in verse one, and it happens that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, verse 2. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not heard it that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the water or the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 of them. Uh, and so, and so, um, this this thing that happens— uh, he goes and he returns and he sees these folks who are there, maybe people who really aren't uh, part of the synagogue, like he originally intended to return back to, but he goes and he speaks to these people, these 12 um, disciples who have uh, been following after the uh, John the Baptist's teaching and have received his baptism, but now they re- receive that one baptism in the Lord Jesus Christ and amazing things start happening through them. They begin to prophesy and to speak in tongues but then something odd happens. When this amazing, miraculous thing happens, something kind of the opposite happens. Immediately after this, he goes, and he goes back to the synagogue, probably hoping that they're going to believe, but then he goes, and he reasons with them some more. They were so excited for him to come back, and then they say, oh, wait, I actually don't want that. That's not what I ordered, um, and so they, they send Paul out of the synagogue. We don't want to reason with you anymore. We don't want to hear about Jesus Christ anymore. Um, you go on your way, and so Paul, he, he does. He walks away. He does, uh, the 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 dust off of his shoulder, um, wipes the dust off his feet, and then he goes and he starts to preach in this uh, this hall of Tyrannus, this school, and while he's there for these two years that he's in this land of Ephesus, um, it says that all the Jews and Gentiles of A- in Asia Minor hear his preaching. They hear about Jesus Christ, and many come to faith, and probably also come to faith by the preaching and the, uh, the prophesying and the speaking of tongues of those 12 men who first received the Spirit. They're united with Paul in preaching about Jesus, and so um, many people come to believe and amazing miracles start to happen where um, uh, profound uh, conversions happening. Um, it says that there is these uh, magicians who are devoted to the uh, magical arts. And uh, as they're so devoted to this, they hear Paul, Paul's preaching. And as a result of this, they take their books that they had spent tons and tons of money on and they throw them into a fire and they burn them because they have so committed themselves to the one faith in Jesus Christ. And so additionally, um, it says that so many things, so many miraculous things were happening through Paul that even um, his coat, people would touch his coat and miracles would happen. Amazing things were happening uh, in the midst of this. But, but meanwhile, there's somebody who's not very happy about what's going on with Paul. Um, this guy, uh, he has uh, an interest, a financial interest, as being burdened by Paul's preaching. He is named Demetrius, and he's a silversmith. And Demetrius, the silversmith, um, his whole job is making idols of Artemis, the Greek goddess. And Ephesus actually is a town that's completely committed to worshiping the goddess Artemis. And so, as this town that's committed to worshiping Artemis, they start to turn away from Artemis and turn towards um, Jesus Christ. Demetrius's sales are going down. And Demetrius is not happy about this. And so Demetrius, he, so, he gets a, uh, a riot started against Paul. Uh, we have to kick this guy out because he's telling people to stop worshiping Artemis. And Paul's like, I am not gonna argue with you there. I am. And so he, he, they, they say we don't want you anymore. You gotta go. Just like the Jews in the synagogue did to him. And so he says, okay, I will leave. Um, and so he leaves. But as we consider context of what he has been through, what the, um, what's important to the Ephesians, um, and specifically to these Gentiles who worship this pantheon of gods, um, Paul wants to remind them that you have one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is no worshiping a pantheon of gods. There is no worshiping Artemis and Jesus. It is only worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ alone. While there is, the Bible will t- pay, uh, pay respect to this as well. There are many divine beings. There are angels, there are cherubim, there are seraphim, there are demons, there's Satan. There are many of these spiritual beings that exist that are unseen to our eyes. But there is one God who is above all of those. There is one God who is above all of those and who governs all of those. And it is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. He is above all. We ought not to worship anything else other than Jesus Christ alone. Okay? All right, and so as one body, we worship uh, this one God. We have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And now I want to tell you about the Spirit's role in this. So point number three, one Spirit, one Spirit. Uh, We have in this one Spirit, we have one hope. That again, back in Ephesians chapter one, back in Ephesians chapter one, I'm sorry I'm making you flip all the way through your Bible today. Um, In chapter one of Ephesians, uh, in verse 14, It says, uh, who is the... Sorry, I'll go back a little bit. Uh, In verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In that one Spirit, uh, he has sealed us and is the guarantee of the inheritance. He is the guarantee. And so if you think of back in the old days when they poured wax on letters and they stamped it, that's what a seal is. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the promise as we look forward to this inheritance that we have of that hope that we talked about before. We have the Holy Spirit now who is with us, who is the seal of that. Um, He bears witness to that. And so this one spirit enables us to have one Lord. It says uh, in John uh, 14, John 14, again, I apologize, but your Bible is going to get worn out today. Um, In John chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 17, he tells us about how uh, the spirit helps us uh, in our faith in the one Lord. So, Again, if you have a Bible like me, open to page 1348. Um, And this is what it says in chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Uh, He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments but this is a a give to get kind of situation. Do you remember? Um, And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth uh, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And he is now in us. And so because of that, again, like I said, it's not a gift to get. Uh, God has given us the Holy Spirit. And so now we give uh, obedience to our one Lord because of the spirit that's in us. He enables us to obey. He enables us to obey the one Lord that we have, who is Jesus Christ. And again, um, in verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The uh, the Holy Spirit helps us to obey and he teaches us and he reminds us as a good teacher does. And I ought to take note of it as a teacher. Um, And so, uh, again, one one hope, one Lord, one faith. One faith. Uh, And so... Looking back to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3 uh, verses 14 through 17, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth the holy spirit enables us to have that one faith the spirit enables us to have faith okay and then that one baptism that we have right and while we are, and we have many of us have experienced this baptism where we um, publicly go and confess our sins and we are plunged into a, a strange pool and we come up out of the water. Um, we also experience a uh, baptism of the Spirit and that the Spirit falls on us and we experience a conversion of our heart and our minds. This baptism is the one baptism that we experience through the Spirit that changes us from the inside. The baptism that we experience um, in that pool uh, is an outward uh, display of what the Spirit has done inside of us. That one spirit that we have uh, empowers us to one hope, to one Lord, to one faith, and one God, the Father, who is of all, uh, over all, through all, and in all. Uh, in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, pays more uh, witness to this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ through Jesus through all generations forever and ever. This is not for the glory of us. This is not for the glory of Pastor Tim or for me or for Isaiah or for Grace. Um, this is not for the glory of individuals. This is not um, for the glory of us corporately as a church. This is the, uh, for the glory of God, that our unity, that our body, that our spirit, our one hope, our one Lord, our one faith, and our one baptism would not be for the glory of us, but that it would be for the glory of our God and Father who is above all, in all, and through all. Okay? And so, uh, and so, here's what you need to do today. Here's what you need to do today. Um, You need to, if you have not, I encourage you, through the Spirit that is in me, and the Spirit who is hopefully um, speaking to you, that you would believe the gospel about Jesus Christ. That you would believe that because of God's great love, even while we are his enemies, because of our disobedience and because of our desire to make ourselves God instead of him, and his great love for his, uh, for us, that even while people who are just like us put him on the cross, in his love, his death would be life for us. That is not something that you have to work for. Let it be um, something glorious to you that you do not have to try and work and change yourself and become somebody who you are not, um, that you don't have to go and do all of these works in order to receive um, membership in the unity with God or with us. Um, that is not through you, but it is through God working in you. And all you have to do is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will empower you to turn away. Trust in him today. Trust in him today. And now, for those of you who do believe, believe that the gospel leads to unity. That the gospel is not just about me and my personal relationship with God and my devotions and all that kind of thing. No, the gospel is meant to unify us as well, to unify us as one people. This is uh, the vision that John received in Revelation. wasn't just about um, lonely old me worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and singing out to him. No, it was people from all tribes, nations, tongues, all these people who are worshiping the Lord together, diversity in unity. The gospel is about us being a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven. A people of God. It's about us uh, being one with one another, and so being the church, being this church, means agreeing to that covenant that we've talked about, being unified in spirit through the bond of peace, and so it means believing and acting on this, and so membership to this uh, this covenant community is a formal agreement that I will work and I will pray. For the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so, for me personally, I, I grew up in a church, and I also attended a church after that, that did not practice membership. And I was among people who believed all sorts of things. Like, there, there was one gospel that was being preached, but among the, the crowd of people who attended this event each, uh, each Sunday, there was many people who believed many different things and we did not agree all agree on the same things that we believed we did not have a covenant there was no membership um, and so the person i could sit next to, or i mean i was sitting next to they may have been a believer they may not have um but we all kind of worked together to make this event happen every sunday i know that the the, the church that i attended while i was in high school or uh in college um, that there is a person in there who had this whole ministry in South America of uh, handling snakes and uh, had this ministry of uh, basically taking money from people by, by preaching the gospel or preaching a false gospel. Uh, he was a prosperity preacher, and he attended the church that we were part of. Um, and there is no uh, discernible difference between me and him as far as our membership to the church that I attended. And so that's a dangerous place to be when there's many gospels that are being preached. Um, it is a good thing. It is a safe thing. It is not meant to be merely an exclusive thing that's a, a special kind of club that you have to become an insider to or something like that. No, membership is about security and safety knowing that all the people who have agreed to this covenant agree to work and pray for you have agreed to work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is a good thing. If you're reluctant about becoming a member of this community, know that this is not because we want to exclude people, merely because we want to exclude exclude people, but it's because we want this place to be a safe place of unity and peace. You need to pray that the Holy Spirit will empower you to have unity. That's what you agreed to. So you need to pray about this. You need to pray, like I am for myself, to be gentle and to be humble. Pray for yourself. Pray for me. Um, I need to be gentle and humble. Pray for yourself to be patient. Pray for yourself to bear others' burdens. Pray for yourself to do those things because you've agreed to it. Um, And you need to trust spirit these things are good and beautiful things that gentleness and humility are good things that patience is a good thing and bearing others uh one another's burdens uh bearing with one another is a good thing you need to believe that Um, and you need to trust the holy spirit to help you with that again this is not a fake it till you make it kind of thing this is not like a try and do it on your own no this is the holy spirit helps you to do that thing because man let me tell you i'm a proud person And I don't like to admit it, but I am a proud person. And uh, I need the Holy Spirit to change me. I need the Holy Spirit to change me because I, I, I can't fake it. I can't fake it till I make it. I can't fake it till I become it. Uh, it it's not about that. All right. Um, and um, lastly, uh, you need to share your burdens. Share your burdens with one another. If we're going to be united in this, uh, in this unity of the Spirit and that we are bearing one another's burdens, that can only happen if we share our burdens. Um, and so we need to share our burdens, and you need to be available to bear other bur- others' burdens. You need to be uh, sharing them, and you need to be available to help others with their burden. All right? And so we, we as a church... We will work and we will pray for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's what we've agreed to. And so if we're going to say that we are working and praying for these things, then we actually need to get together to pray about these things. We need to pray that the Spirit would enable us to this. Um, We need to get together to pray for unity and peace in this community. We need to follow the Spirit's guidance. To help one another to be gentle and humble and patient and bear with one another's. We need to uh, help one another to be gentle, to be humble. So, I, I mean, I praise God for Pastor Tim that I met with him and he made himself available to me um, to, to teach me how to be more humble and how to be more gentle and to pray for me in that. And I'm grateful for y'all, that y'all are willing to hopefully pray for me. Um, and I uh, and so. With that, we need to get together to pray for these things and to counsel one another in these things. Um, that's, what, that's why God gave us um, a body. Like, again, Sister Jacqueline talked about this morning uh, that uh, we are a body of many different parts and not all the parts are the exact same and we all have different perspectives and we all have different giftings. And so let us use our gifts in order to bless one another with good counsel. Um, that's why we're called to a body, not just a event. Um, and we need to disciple one another in that. Offer good counsel and be be willing to be discipled and disciple one another in these things. Teach one another. And lastly, the very last thing I said lastly before, but this is the very actual last thing. Uh, we need to again. This is not for the glory of me just becoming a very humble and gentle person. This is not for just the glory of me becoming my best self. Um, This is so that the world would see our unity and our good works and give glory to our good God. Remember that. Pray for it. Pray that the world would see this. Pray that the world would see our good uh, works and our good uh, unity that we have as a church. All right. So I'm going to start praying uh for us in that but i pray that y'all would continue in praying for that Uh, and then after i pray um the praise team will come up to to lead us in a few more songs all right Uh, dear lord thank you so much for your love that you have for us thank you for the grace that you've extended to us um, in your gospel i pray that you would help us to have greater unity with one another that we would do the hard things of bearing with one another that we would do the hard things of becoming humble and gentle, um, but I pray that you'd uh, continue to remind us of um, the good things that you have already given us and making us your sons and daughters and promising an inheritance that, that you made us heirs, that you gave us Jesus. Thank you for these things. Remind us of these things, please. Pray that you'd help us um, today to uh, to continue to consider these things and think about things and think about ways um, that we can promote this uh, practically. Pray that you'd uh, unite us uh, in prayer for one another and counseling one another and uh discipling one another um, towards a uh, sanctification and just growing closer to you. Uh, pray that the world would see um, our unity um, and that they would give glory to you. That they would consider, uh, and desire to join in this good unity, that they would turn away from false gospel that says that you have to, um, become something that they're not in order to be accepted, that they have to, uh, give in order to get, that they have to do all these things. I pray that they would simply accept what you have given, uh, and provided for them already, um, and that they would desire you as a result. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.